this morning we're kicking off a two-part series as we kind of head into Easter, and uh, it's based out of Matthew 5, verse 3 to 11. Uh, it's also known as the Beatitudes, and, and for some reason I thought that I was going to get through all of these in two weeks. Uh, uh, but as I kind of dived into it and spent some time in it, um, I think we'll be lucky to get through two or three uh, this week and next week, but we'll, we'll kick off and see how we go. Um, and uh, that, that is okay because uh, we can always... Uh, come back to it and revisit it later on in the year. We've got a lot of experience of spending time and weeks in Matthew, um, so uh, it's not a new thing for us. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're reading out of uh, Matthew 11, verses 1 to 11. Uh, Matthew 5, sorry, what am I saying? Matthew 5, verses 1 to 11. And seeing the multitudes, uh, this is Jesus, and seeing the multitudes, he went up, on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you who they revile and perse- when they revile and persecute you. All kinds of evil against you, false and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Let's pray this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your blessings. And uh, as we've heard uh, already this morning, that blessing of grace and of that love. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, this morning I just pray that you would uh, speak into our hearts. Father God, we open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes uh, to see from you and to hear from you. So, Father God, take a, use me this morning and take what I say, Father, for your purposes. Uh, and may I be a vessel uh, for your glory in this place. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this passage in Matthew Uh, from chapters 5 through to uh, chapter 7, is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the the greatest and most powerful ever message preached, you can say, I believe, because it was preached by Jesus, who is the greatest and the most powerful preacher to have ever walked the planet Earth. Amen? And so, uh, in this, in this, in these three chapters, Jesus t- teaches about salt and light. Uh, Jesus teaches about murder, teaches about adultery, and, and you know, all of a sudden it's starting to sound a little bit like a soap opera that, you know, there's real life stuff that Jesus is teaching about here. Uh, he teaches about the one that we all love, you know, loving your enemies. Uh, we all like to do a little bit of that every now and then. No? Some maybe? Uh, prayer and fasting. Uh, and it's in chapter 6 where we find uh, Jesus teaching us about the Lord's Prayer. And he teaches on a whole lot of topics uh, that really are important to life. And the verses that we're going to be looking at uh, that we've just read 
from Jesus' teaching are known as the Beatitudes. The word beatitude, which is formed from uh, the word beatus, which means blessing. That's nice and simple, uh, because these verses are also known as the blessed are statements of God. Blessed are the the poor uh, in spirit, so on and so forth. (coughs) Excuse me. And so we're going to take a look at a couple of these over the next uh, two weeks and see what uh, we can pull from them as we look at them in a bit more detail. Uh, But this one kind of sets the scene for us. And so uh, we know that uh, Jesus kind of sees the multitudes and then he retreats up uh, to the mountain. He goes up onto the mountain. And then as he takes his seat, uh, we're told that the disciples come to him and then he starts to teach. So the disciples come to him and then, you know, Jesus starts to speak to them. But then by the, end, by the end of chapter 7 and by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we're told that the crowds left amazed. And so you kind of go, what, what happened there? And I, and I just kind of got this picture, you know. It's like Jesus went up, sat on the mountain. The, the disciples came. He started teaching. And then little by little, as people saw Jesus teaching, they all started to walk over there. So over time, Jesus was, was preaching to the crowd, and I thought that was a pretty, um, pretty cool picture. But when we're told here, as, as he sits down to teach the Beatitudes, uh, that it's the disciples uh, who have first come to him. And so the scene is, is kind of set with Jesus there on the on the hill, uh, preaching to his disciples, and he's speaking into a culture and into a time where the religious leaders were very strict on the law. So. You know, Jesus came and and Jesus brought a new way of thinking. He brought grace. He brought God's love. Uh, He brought a way that was kind of almost some of the religious leaders thought were opposite to what the law was asking them to do do and how the law was asking them uh, to live. And so he's speaking at this time when they're strict on the law. Some of the spiritual leaders in the time were very wealthy uh, and lived fairly lavished lives and and were, uh, you know, uh, more well off than than some of your regular people in uh, society, and uh, we read in the Bible that uh, these guys didn't take very kindly to Jesus's message or to Jesus's teaching about who was acceptable into the kingdom of God, and they often would try and trap him uh, in public and in temples um, about his teaching and what he was saying, and so and so Jesus comes teaching uh, these beatitudes and teaching the Sermon on the Mount which are in a way a new, kind of, a new kind of thinking and a new kind of, uh, I guess, theology for, well, they, I don't know if they had theology back then, but it's a new kind of way to think about uh, what they believed and what they'd known uh, to be true. And it comes teaching different attitudes and uh, a different view that's almost suggesting that those who have been considered uh, in society as uh, the outcasts, those who have been, been considered in society as uh, less than uh, worthy. Uh, J- Jesus almost flips that on his head and says, well, actually, no, these, these are the ones who are most worthy to God. These are the ones who God sees. And so Jesus is teaching, um, I believe, on the characteristics that uh, characterize uh, or that he wanted to characterize his disciples He's speaking to his disciples, and he's teaching them these beatitudes, and I believe he's teaching them because he wanted them to grow this characteristic in this heart, which uh, these beatitudes 
kind of suggesting. So we're going to start uh, this morning by looking at verse 3, which is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we've got that there. Oh, thanks, Phil. So we've got that there. And, uh, you know, we kind of read that and, and we kind of think what? You know, what, what do we kind of think when we read that? I mean, don't, don't answer, but just think about it for a minute. What do you think about when you read this verse? Do you think about anything at all? Do you feel anything? Here's a tricky one. Who do you think about when you read this verse? Do you think it applies to you today? Or do you just think, oh man, these people who are poor in spirit are really lucky they inherit the kingdom of heaven? Or do you think that I should answer all these questions for us because I'm the pastor? <laughs> so just think about that amongst yourselves. Um, but firstly, uh, I'm, I'm, man, I'm learning along with the rest of us and the rest of you uh, about all this stuff. But we're going to unpack this uh, a little bit, and I have uh, some application points for, for you to take away uh, and consider. So the verse starts off, blessed are. Blessed are. What an awesome promise. Jesus says, blessed are. And when Jesus says, blessed are, then guess what? Blessed are. What an amazing promise. You know, the word blessed comes from a Greek word, which means, uh, you know, as you speak, fortune, which means blessed and happy. And uh, one of the commentaries that I was reading through this week uh, stated that the, the, the word that is used in this passage, the Greek word used in this passage for blessed can be literally translated, oh, the happiness of. Oh, the happiness of. Oh, the happiness of those who are poor in spirit. And so the word used for blessed implies a lot more than just uh, an external blessing or a lot more than just a physical item or a blessing, uh, but infers something that comes from much deeper within, an internal attribute, an internal attitude uh, that is from the inside out. And so the word blessed here implies uh, often something bigger than what we think it might mean. So Jesus says, blessed are. A promise for who? The poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so what does that mean? So when we look at, when we look at that word poor, or when we see the word poor, we might automatically think of uh, you know, lacking the money to kind of go and get food that we needed this week. We might think about not having the money to, to go certain places or to do certain things. Uh, you know, when we don't have the money to travel anywhere, we just go, oh, we're so poor, we, don't, we can't do it. You know, our girls are constantly like, oh, cafe, cafe, cafe. It's like, we don't have the money. Oh, we poor. Well, you know, kind of, yeah, well, we don't have money. We don't have the money to buy the food we need or our coffee in the morning. Uh, but the word that's used here 
uh, for poor is the word uh, pochos. And it means a lot more than just being poor or lacking money. Uh, And it means a lot more than what we might view the word poor as. And to kind of get a picture of uh, just uh, what this word means, uh, we're going to have a look at Luke 16, verses 19 through to 21. And hopefully this will help us to understand uh, a little bit more just, uh, firstly, how poor poor is when it comes to this word that's being used here. So it says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, this is out of the NIV, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dog came and licked his sores. What a lovely picture. Not really, is it? Now this passage about Lazarus shows us a man who uh, was so poor, who was so diseased uh, that he was looking for crumbs from the table. Lazarus wasn't expecting a loaf of bread. Lazarus wasn't expecting a slice of the bread. Lazarus was that poor and in need and and desperate for food that he sat at, at the bottom of the table waiting for whatever crumbs would fall. Look at the company he's keeping. He's down there with the dog who's licking his wounds. And so this passage uh, is about a man who, who, you know, it wasn't that he didn't have enough for the day. It wasn't that he didn't have enough for the month or that he didn't have enough for a few months. He, he had nothing, absolutely nothing. And so the word pochos, pochos, which is used here, speaks of being so poor, so poor that the person not only has nothing, but they're a beggar. That all they can ever get comes around from begging. And so to be poor in spirit, as you kind of look at this verse, refers to being a spiritual beggar. No one ever likes to be called a beggar for anything. It means being completely completely destitute in the realm of our spiritual being and being totally, totally, because we have nothing Because we can't do anything of ourselves, it means being totally dependent on the Spirit of God. Totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life, sometimes I'm more dependent on myself than I am on the Holy Spirit. And when we kind of ask, well, does it relate to me to be poor in spirit today? Or maybe it does if I don't see that much of an intent need for God's spirit that I would go sit at the table with him and just be with him. Jesus is saying, you know, Jesus says this is the type of person um, uh, that is blessed, uh, totally dependent uh, on the goodness of God. It's, it's realizing that 
It's realizing the worthlessness of our own spiritual currency. It's realizing the worthlessness of anything that we can do. It's realizing that we are unable uh, through our own works and through our own efforts to save ourselves or even to save anyone else. No, it's never our job to go out and save people. Only Jesus can save people. It's our job to go out and let people, as Abraham shared this morning in communion, let people know about this Jesus, uh, which we're also going to touch on uh, a little later, later on. It's recognizing that we're spiritually bankrupt before God and that we have nothing, and that we are nothing in that realm, and He is everything. We are nothing, and He is everything. You know, Martin Luther uh, once said, God created out of nothing. Therefore, until man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. Until we completely lose and die to ourselves, we will never fully be who God has created us to be. And because we realize this about ourselves, uh, you know, it kind, of, it kind of changes the way we then approach God. It kind of changes the way we then come to God. When we realize that we're nothing, we don't come to God with what we need or what we want. But we come to God with everything. Because to try and do it all in our own strength is to become a little bit prideful. To think that it's up to us. To think that it's up to us to fulfill God's purpose. To decide what God wants to do in our life. To think that it's in our efforts to be right with God. It's almost idolatry. Because only God is powerful enough to be everything that we need. And so because we realize that, we come to, to Christ with our need for every area of our life. And you know what, unlike the rich man that we just read about in, in Luke 16, uh, God, God won't let you have the scraps from the table. God's not just going to let you have leftover pieces. Because in the verse, Jesus says, blessed. Oh, the happiness of those who are poor in spirit. And so our first application this morning, um, I was going to say if you're taking notes, but I just realized this morning I haven't printed any notes for any of you, have I? Oh, I don't know. <coughs> so the first application this morning, we'll put it in the e-news. So everyone read your e-news this week. It'll all be in there. Is be poor in spirit and hungry for God. Be poor in spirit and hungry for God. 
We talked about being poor in spirit. It's just acknowledging that we are bankrupt. We have nothing spiritually. And that it's all God in us and God through us who outworks his purpose. And then in hungering for God, I would encourage you just to pray to God to give you that hunger for him. Ask God for that hunger. And then for those who are poor in spirit, Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thanks, Phil. So those who are poor in spirit are promised the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven in uh, the book of Matthew is uh, synonymous, synonymous, is that the right word? It's uh, synonymous with uh, the kingdom of God, and you can um, find reference to that in uh, Matthew 19, 23 through uh, to 24. And so those who are poor in spirit are promised the kingdom of heaven. Now, in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 3, before these verses, we read that John the Baptist is kind of going around and he's saying, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we know that John the Baptist's entire ministry was around making a way and preparing the way for Jesus. He was the one who was crying out in a voice in the wilderness, uh, you know, that the Messiah was coming and that the kingdom of heaven uh, is near. And then we read in Matthew uh, chapter 14 that Jesus begins to then preach the same message. So verse 17, uh, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so we read in verse 5, and notice that, notice the um, present tense that we have here in verse 5. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know, while the phrase the kingdom of heaven um, has often been used broadly in its meaning, it's essentially referring uh, in, in these verses and in this time uh, to salvation through Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven comes by grace through Christ. He is our king, and he is the king of the kingdom. And so those who are um, poor in spirit, uh, those who know to cry out for God's spirit, who know that they're spiritually bankrupt, and they know their need for God's spirit. They participate in the kingdom, both now uh, in part through the body of Christ, but then ultimately in the future when Jesus comes and uh, takes rule over the entire earth. And as Christians, we participate uh, in the kingdom of God. You know, in college, I had a friend, uh, one of my best friends uh, was a Tongan guy. Um, I'll get the worship team to come. Thanks. And uh, he was Tongan. I was Samoan. You know, in those days, Tongans and Samoans were only just 
kind of starting to get along. Uh, so we were a bit of an odd bod. Uh, we, we, we started in St. Joseph's Primary School together and went all the way through high school together. And so we were at De La Salle College and he was, uh, he was leading the youth group at St. Joseph's Odahu uh, while I was leading the youth group at St. Therese uh, in Mangri. And uh, I, I, I often remember how proud he was of his heritage. You know, how proud he was of being Tongan. I remember how proud he was of, of telling me about sitting with the king at, at all their family functions and how they had to give all this money to the king. I don't know why he was so proud of that. But they gave all this money to the king. Um, you know, he, he, he had learned the language really well. Uh, and, and though they were living in New Zealand, he just kind of exuded and, and he just oozed the culture of what he, he kind of called, you know, it's the kingdom of Tonga. He'd walk around going, I'm from the kingdom of Tonga. And he'd be proud of this. And you could see that he loved his heritage and where he was from. And so like, like one of my best mates in college who now lives in Australia, um, but we, you know, we're Facebook friends, so it's all good. <laughs> who participated in the culture of his kingdom. We're also participants of the culture of God's kingdom. That's a challenging thought. Because I kind of asked myself, well, do I ooze the culture of the kingdom of God the way that he oozed the culture of the kingdom of Tonga? You know, with him, you'd spend a couple of hours with him, or even an hour, and you'd know all about the kingdom of Tonga. Do I ooze the culture of the kingdom of God the way that he oozes out? Am I proud of the culture of the kingdom that I participate in? The way he was proud of the kingdom that which, of the kingdom that he'd come from. Do we express the blessings and the joy and the love in our everyday life that comes from this blessing of the happiness of in our everyday life. And are we proud enough of that to invite people to be a part of it? Actually, are we really brave enough to invite people into a relationship with Jesus? knowing that Jesus saves, knowing that Jesus has a blessing for them, hoping that one day they will arrive to the attitude of being so poor in spirit that they realize their need for salvation in Jesus Christ and become a part of this awesome kingdom that we're in.
the second application or the second thought for this morning is to be a proud citizen of God's kingdom. Be a proud citizen of God's kingdom. Now, Philippians 3 verse 20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go represent our kingdom, the kingdom of God well, amen? Let's represent it boldly. Going in grace and mercy, going in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, always and showing uh, the love of Christ to others. Why don't we stand this morning as uh, we close? I'm just going to close with a prayer and pray for us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your presence. Lord, teach us to remain poor in spirit, to remember how desperately we need you, how desperately we needed you once and still do. Give us a growing hunger for your spirit. For there is nothing that we have that will save us or that can deliver us from our circumstances. Lord, we pray that as you're taught in your prayer, that you would let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth. Teach us, Lord, and use us to represent you and your kingdom here on earth. Teach us, Lord, to be kingdom as we await the complete fulfillment of your reign when you come again. Thank you, Jesus.